Welcome to another episode of Can't Make This Up, a history podcast where we talk about unusual and strange history. Today we're going to talk about the history of Hollywood, specifically monster movies. The Creature from the Black Lagoon was always my favorite classic monster movie growing up. The Creature is certainly one of the most original and iconic monsters to ever grace the silver screen. But did you know that it was designed by a woman? Millicent Patrick was a makeup artist, animator, special effects designer, and an actress. But unfortunately, her contributions to the horror film genre have largely been forgotten. My guest today is Mallory O'Mara, and she has written the first biography of Millicent's life and career in Hollywood, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. Mallory is an award-winning author, co-host of the literary podcast Reading Glasses, and she works in the horror movie industry as a screenwriter and producer. Today, Mallory and I discuss Millicent's unique childhood, how she entered Hollywood, and how the film industry failed to recognize her achievements. Now, on to the show. The You Can't Make This Up History Podcast. Bringing you strange but true things from the past. It's not the average history that you learned in school. We're bringing you the heroes and bringing you the fools. And stories that are just too crazy to believe. The stranger than fiction and super unique. Mallory O'Mara, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. If you uh, would be so kind as to introduce yourself, um, you are kind of unique among the guests that I have on the show. Normally I have uh, historians or journalists, but you are a uh, monster movie producer. And so if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into the uh, horror movie genre. Uh, How I got into making them or how I got into the genre itself? Uh, Both. Uh, yeah, well, I'm also, I'm, uh, my name is Mallory O'Mara. I do make movies, but I'm also an author and a podcaster and a historian. Um, I got into the genre itself when I was a teenager, just sort of fell in love with it, um, both books and in films. And uh, ever since, I wanted to make do, do it for a living. All right, and so you start off your book... Um by talking about this this uh, personal fascination that you have with Millicent Patrick. Uh, can you tell us um, uh, how you discovered uh, this woman and, and, and why you're so interested in her? Well, I first found out about Miss Millicent Patrick when I was 17 uh, and going through all the original Universal Monster movies uh, because I didn't really have anybody around me or in my family that was a huge monster movie fan. So I had to teach myself basically all about monster films and realize that that I need to start with all the classics. So I was going through all the universal films, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, Bride of Frankenstein. I loved all of them. And I got to the last one, which, Mm -hmm. you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon is the last one to be included. And I fell in love with the film. And just like anyone who is a a nerd for, for cinema, I wanted to know everything about how the movie was made all the behind the scenes trivia. I wanted to see photos of how, how things came together. So I was researching online and up until that point, all of my cinematic heroes were men that, you know, Tom Savini, Rick Baker, Dick Smith, all these Titans of the monster making world. And I had never seen a woman do those things. And I, because of that, I had never really considered that I had a place in that industry. 
And while I was looking through photos on behind the scenes on the set and in the um, monster shop, there was a picture of a woman working on the creature suit. And it really was like being struck by lightning. It was, it completely changed my life. And I thought, oh my God, who is this? And the, the caption just said, Millicent Patrick, illustrator and designer. And that was it. There was no website about her, no Wikipedia article. There was very little information available about her online. But it still struck me and it still completely opened my brain up. And I thought, oh my God, girls can do this too. And she became my hero. Really cool. And and I, I think it's safe to say that, that you've written the definitive biography about her at this point, right? Yeah, no no one had ever written about her before I wrote The Lady from the Black Lagoon. Um, all right, well, let's start off talking about her a little bit. Let's talk about Millicent's origins. Uh, for starters, her name isn't actually Millicent Patrick. That's true. Yeah, she actually went under seven different names over the course of her life. The well, that sounds great for a researcher. It was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so so what what was her given name? What was her her family like? Uh, well, her she was born under the name Mildred Rossi, and she was born to the Rossi family. Her father was a man named Camille Rossi, and he actually was the superintendent of construction at, for ten years uh, at a place called Hearst Castle, which was the summer home of a man named William Randolph Hearst, which was really America's first media mogul. And by summer home, I, I mean, I, this place was a massive, massive, huge estate where people like Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin and Winston Churchill would go and, and, and vacation and hang out and party there. Uh, so Millicent Patrick grew up in this really unique environment. Yeah, what what a interesting childhood to see these people kind of coming and going and... and um you know, being exposed to this high society as a kid has has to have quite an effect on you. Yeah, that's really where she um, started with her love of film and cinema and Hollywood. And I, after growing up in an environment like that, there was really no place for her to go but Hollywood. What like nothing could compare. Uh, now, 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 what about her mom, Morgan? Um, uh, well, her, Julia Morgan wasn't her mother. Uh, Julia Morgan was the woman, the architect in charge. Of, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, well, Julia Morgan was the architect in charge of Hearst Castle, and Julia Morgan was the woman that uh, Camille Rossi worked under. She was his boss. Uh, Millicent Patrick's mo- mother did not work on Hearst Castle. That's okay, but Ju- uh, Julia Morgan was a really, really incredible woman. Uh, she was a California architect. Uh, she designed nearly 800 buildings over the course of her life in California. Uh, and she had a really fantastic relationship with William Randolph Hearst. And she designed a lot for him. And you know, her, one of her, her most, her biggest and definitely most famous is Hearst Castle. So when, when, when Millicent um, gets a little older and, um, you know, begins her career, uh, she starts off at, at Disney. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was uh, working at be, being a, an artist at Disney was Millicent's first uh, job right out of art school, which was really cool because the the school that Millicent went to was a place called the Schoonard Institute. It was run by a woman named Nelbert Schoonard. And back in the early, early days of Disney, Disney couldn't afford the things that did, like when now nowadays when we think of Disney we think of this massive massive corporation that has all the money in the world, right. uh, but back in the early days they had nothing, uh, and to to make the movies that Disney really wanted to make, 
And when I say Disney, I mean Walt Disney, but at the time he was still working with his brother Roy. Uh, But Walt Disney knew that he needed his animators trained in a very particular way and to create art, to be trained to create art in a particular way. Uh, But he didn't have the money to send them all to class and to school. Uh, So he had been asking all around Southern California at art schools, like who could help him? And all of them them turned him down because he couldn't pay. But Nelbert Schoenard, who ran the Schoenard Institute, said, you know what, bring your animators down, we'll figure something out. And it worked out really, really well in sort of a pipeline form between the Schoenard Institute and Disney Studios, where, you know, the animators were being trained there, but then Disney was also able to kind of get his pick of the up-and-coming students at the Schoenard Institute, and Millicent Patrick was one of them. Uh, but yeah, Dis- uh, Millicent ended up working her way up in Disney to become one of the first female animators, she started in the ink and paint department, which a lot of people don't realize back then was entirely staffed by women. And it was exactly what you think it is. It, uh, when after animators drew the cells that would be the animation cells, they needed to be both inked and painted. And women did all of that work. And that's where Millicent started. She started in paint and um, worked and ended up getting moved over to inking because she had this incredible skill of being able to convey a lot of movement and uh, very few lines. And that is exactly what Disney wanted. And then she ended up uh, moving into the world of animation. You know what was life like for her being being a, a, a woman animator at at Disney? How how were those female animators viewed in the company? Well, uh, Disney was actually a pretty decent place for uh, a working female animator back then. Uh, you know, Disney went out of his way to try to make sure that the women were treated were, were treated as equally as they could, and not were and were not bothered by the men working there. Uh, whether or not that those uh, missives were successfully heard, uh, we don't know. But as far as as far as uh, you know, we historians can see, it was actually a pretty great place to work. As a biographer, you had to kind of learn to accept the reality of who your subject was versus kind of who you wanted her to be. Uh, how did you have to to struggle with that writing this biography of Millicent? When I started this project, I mean, also when I finished, I mean, Millicent still is a hero of mine, but, you know, that's the, the danger of writing about your heroes is that you have to write all the good and all the bad. And while during the process of, of telling the story of Millicent Patrick's life, I had to reckon with some things that I, you know, decisions I didn't agree with, um, mistakes that she made, um, because I, 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 I was struggling with this great sense of wanting to protect her. You know, I was working so hard to make sure that people knew who she was. And I thought that maybe if people didn't like her and she made all these mistakes that they wouldn't care about her. But then I realized that I was judging her just as badly as the people that I imagined, you know, out there that were, wouldn't like her were doing. And I needed realized I needed to stop and that no matter what she did in her life, it didn't stop stop the fact that she's still worth writing about and she was still one of the most important artists film has ever seen and just because women screw up doesn't mean they're not worth writing about absolutely that that's what makes her a, a real person yes um all right so after disney she starts to to work her way into universal studios and and then eventually on her way to to creature from the black lagoon um but if you could 
talk a little bit like like this is your your expertise as as a screenwriter and, and movie producer uh what is the process of creating a monster for the big screen what's that like well, normally it starts with a con with some concept art, um, you know, just talking to the director, um, and it sort of depends. Back then, uh, it would be a conversation between the director, the producer, maybe the writer. Uh, the writer had, you know, written out either a very vague description with some writers, or a very very detailed description in the script of what the monster would look like, and then the producers and the director would get together and kind of decide how they wanted it to look, uh, and they would pull in the makeup department and they would find an artist to start creating what's called concept art and just basically ideas of what it could look like. And that's what Millicent Patrick did. Uh, she didn't actually, wasn't the one sculpting the monster. She was the one designing it. So she had come up with, and she had done it with a few films. Creature from the Black Lagoon was not her first. Uh, just come up with ideas and sketches of what the monster would look like. And then the uh, the sculptors would take that sketch and then sculpt a 3D version of it, and then somebody would mold it into a life-sized creature, or you know, uh, if, it, if it wasn't being played by a human inside of it, uh, a, a monster-sized creature, and then it would get, you know, the mold would be done, it would be painted and ready to go. Is that still the process today with CGI and, and everything being so digital? Well, if it's a digital monster, obviously it's a very, very different process, but there's still over a lot of special effects artists working today. Uh, there still are monsters being made that are real. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's 2017 film, uh, Shape of Water, that is not a digital monster. That's a real suit that was designed by a man named Mike Hill. And same thing, except that Mike did all the things. He designed it and then he sculpted it and molded it, painted it, and... Uh, the incredible Doug Jones got inside that suit and played it. When, when this film came out, I mean, obviously today it's it's pretty iconic and, it, and it's revered as, as a great horror film. Um, but it was pretty controversial at the time. Why was that? Creature from the Black Lagoon? Yes. Uh, well, uh, it was controversial behind the scenes before it came out. It was not publicly controversial um, just because there were a lot of concerns about... Uh, the creature, uh, if you've ever even seen, you don't have to have seen the film to know this, but if you just look at posters, you know, there's a lot of imagery of the monster carrying the, the Julie Adams, the main, the female lead away. And with the censorship boards, there were a lot of people who were concerned about, you know, sexual scenes between the creature and, and Kay, who is the a character that Julie Adams plays. Uh, but they were able to, assure the the boards and the people in charge of, of censorship that the film would was going to be fine and it became very popular with with the public it, it was it wasn't a smash hit, but it definitely did did well and it did well for universal and became a uh like a monster classic for sure hi everyone i hope you're enjoying learning about the creature from the black lagoon and millicent patrick I wanted to take a little break from our conversation to ask you a fundamental question to this episode. Have you ever seen The Creature from the Black Lagoon? I watched it a lot growing up. We had it on VHS. Um, I know some of you uh, might be of an age demographic. You don't know what VHS is. Um, but we had it at home and I got to watch it. And I have fond memories of watching this film. But if you've never seen it before, 
Um, you don't need to go get a VCR to watch it. The Creature from the Black Lagoon is easily available to stream right into your own home. It's available on Amazon Prime Video, and I've included a link to that in the description of this episode in your podcast app. If you've never seen it before, it is a great film. It was released in 1954, and while it might not be scary to us today by our standards, it has an excellent story that holds up well, which is why the film is still considered a classic to this day. So if you would like a two-night rental or to buy the film, it's available on Amazon Prime. Link is down in the description. And I wanted to share with you another excellent podcast from the Straight Up Strange podcast family, Monsters and Friends. Each episode covers a new type of monsters. Some of them are aquatic, like the creature we're talking about today. Um, Season 2 was great. Each episode was monsters from a different state, so you can find your state and see what supposed creepy creatures lurk there. So listen to this promo for Monsters and Friends, and then we'll get back to my discussion with Mallory O'Mara. Hello, friends. My name is Michael Patrick, and I'm the host of the Monsters and Friends podcast. Each week, my Bigfoot friend Barry and I fire up our trusty Winnebago, and we travel the United States in search of cryptids, legends, and lore. However, we're not looking for any old cryptid, legend, and lore. We want to introduce you to some of the monsters of the world that don't get the same spotlight as Barry's cousin Bigfoot. Did you know that in Ireland, there's an 8-foot murderous otter? Or in the Mongolian desert, there's a worm that can kill you. Instantly. Come with Barry and I each and every week as we travel the United States in search of interesting monsters and stories. Once we find them, we usually find a good spot to camp, sit around the campfire, sip on warm cider, and chat about life or sometimes butterflies. We'd love for you to join us each and every week and learn about the amazing things and stories that we discover. You can find the Monsters and Friends podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll chat again real soon. Like a monster classic for sure. Now, um, without giving uh, giving away too much of, of what becomes of Millicent, um, but can you at least hint on, you know, what's the reason that um, uh, the fact that she des- designed the creature uh, and, and, and largely came up with the concept, um, why is it that we've never heard of this? Well, the problem with what happened with Millicent Patrick uh all originated with a man named Bud Westmore, who was the head of the Universal Monster Shop at the time. And he was so jealous of Millicent Patrick getting a claim for her work that even though she lied and told people that it was his design, uh, he fired her and essentially blacklisted her and she never worked behind the scenes on a film ever again. Um, so what I really like about your book is it's it's part the the narrative of Millicent, but it's also your own personal narrative in in researching this. C- can you tell us a little bit about how how you um, dug into your hero? 
Yeah, well, the book sort of ended up being like Julie and Julia, but for monsters. Uh, the, and the reason for that is when I started writing it, uh, it, it originated as just a straightforward biography, but I realized that I was telling a story about somebody that no one had ever heard of. You know, this wasn't like, you know, Winston Churchill or um, Margaret Thatcher or, you know, big people that everyone had knew about and would see their name on a shelf and go, oh, I'm interested in reading about that. Uh, I, I was telling a story of an unknown person and I needed to give people a reason to care about her. And the easiest way I knew how to do that was to show the readers why I care about her. And so I started writing about why she matters to me. And that sort of evolved into taking the reader on this journey through the book uh, in, in all of my research and uh, show why she is still relevant today. Because what happened to Millicent Patrick with Bud Westmore still happens to women right now. And I know because it, it, it's happened to me. Uh, so I tell those stories as well. And uh, it ended up into being what it is now, which is, again, like kind of more of a Julie and Julia book than a straightforward biography. And at, at one point you you mentioned that you had to, uh, what, agree to marry a Mormon dead guy in order to research your book? Not quite. Um, uh, one of the one of the research uh, huddles I had to get in with myself and, and make decisions about was uh, one of the greatest archives of genealogical information in the United States is the Mormon church and the Mormon archives. Mm -hmm. And they have this belief that if, and not all Mormons, but there are some Mormons have this belief that if a Mormon man dies unmarried, uh, you can posthumously ma marry him to someone who died while they were single. So they're always looking for, um, uh, people's personal information, people's people's genealogical information, so they could find sort of, you know, when, when, if, if I die unmarried, they could be like, oh, Matt, well, here's a, a potential bride for this person. And uh, so that's, you can, to get into these archives, you give them your information and they'll get, grant you access. So I decided to do it. Uh, that, that is dedication. <laughs> for sure. You know, you describe, a, and you said in, in the book, quote, an infuriating misogynistic bullshit that Millicent had to face. And we'd like to tell ourselves that, well, that was back in the 1950s. That was the Mad Men era. Um, has has Hollywood changed as much as we would like to think? Well, how many women got nominated for Best Director this Oscar season? The answer is zero. <laughs> uh, there is now a lot, thanks to the incredible women of the Me Too movement, uh, there is... Uh, a lot of conversation and there is change which is fantastic but it's not as fast as people would like to believe it is uh, it's big ships turn slowly uh, films take a long time to make uh, there's still a lot a lot of misogyny in, in the film world it's still difficult and it's great to have these conversations but what people need to do is actually hire women and not just for directors but you know above and below the line in every single type of job on a film set uh, and again, there there is there is some change, but it is it is very slow. Um, luckily, it's a little bit different uh, than when Millicent was working in the 1950s. Uh, but we still haven't had a, a monster uh, movie that was released by a major studio uh, feature a monster that was designed by a woman since Millicent. And that was what almost 70 years ago. Yep. <laughs> that that's crazy. 
Um, it's but, bonkers. But but you include a lot of good you know uh, statistics on you know how underrepresented um, you know women and and particularly minority women are in in the film industry. Yeah, I mean, again, luckily things are we're turning very very slowly. We're looking forward to this year the release of uh, that the remake of Candyman uh, with a new uh, with a black female director uh, Nia. Let me see. Nia DaCosta, uh, she's going to be, she wrote and directed it, which is going to be really exciting. Uh, but that's one movie out of how many movies that got, monster movies that got, that are going to be released this year. You know, so as changes there, but it's very, very slow. Um, so after getting the opportunity to research and, and write a full book about one of your heroes, uh, what was the most rewarding part of this for you? Uh, well, the, definitely the most rewarding part has been whenever I do events uh just the women who in in, uh, people in general but a lot of the women who come up to me and tell me you know they feel really seen by this book and this book made them feel less alone and that now they have a hero to look at uh, and that's millicent and that is worth everything it's worth all the years of working and writing and all the money i spent and all of the frustration i felt and that's that makes every moment worth it Awesome. Well, uh, this was a uh, f- um, fantastic subject. I, I, I really enjoyed learning about Millicent Patrick through your book. Um, if someone wanted to learn more about her life uh, by picking up a copy of her book, uh, your book, uh, where can they go? Everywhere. Uh, the book is available at all places that you buy books. Uh, finding it at your local bookstore uh, is the preferred way especially right now with everything that's going on in north america and all over the world um and i believe that amazon some of the bigger um corporate book uh retailers are going to be slowing down their their book sales so now is more important than ever to support your local indies uh if you're interested in listening to the audiobook i narrated it and it's available uh, on Libro FM, uh, on Audible, on all, all places that you get audiobooks. Yep, and and I'll say you did a wonderful job narrating it. That that's how I read your book. Oh, thank you so much. And if someone wanted to learn more about you, do you have a website they can go to? I do MalloryOmera.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at MalloryOmera and Instagram, um, but my website is where there's all information about uh, my events, which unfortunately are completely cleared at the moment <laughs> right. uh, but uh, um, all my social media is on there my information about the book I'm working on now is there my podcast everything I do is at MalloryOmarin.com all right well Mallory thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much for having me this was a blast I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you feel like you've learned something new Uh, If you are interested in learning more about the woman who designed the creature from the Black Lagoon, Millicent Patrick, look down in the description of this episode in your podcast app. I have provided an IndieBound link for Lady from the Black Lagoon that will connect you to where you can find this book uh, in your local uh, bookseller. If you like the Can't Make This Up History podcast, uh, consider subscribing so you never miss an episode, and consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening to this. Uh, Those reviews are super helpful. 
If you've been listening for a little bit and you like the, what we cover here on the Can't Make This Up History Podcast, um, tell a friend. Uh, let them know what you've been listening to. Let them know your favorite episodes. Uh, that way they can learn about some of the strange, unusual history we cover on the show. If you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, connect with the show. Uh, you can find the show at CMTU History, as in Can't Make This Up History. I would love to connect with you on social and just hear what you think about the show. All right, that's it for today's episode. Check back next time. We are going to be talking about the history of the SETI space program and the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. There's a really interesting 50-year history there that I can't wait to share with you. See you then. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.